185milesouth.com. Smash that Patreon button. One hundred and eighty five miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast. What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, we are going way back. Nineteen eighty five, doing a super seven and uh, helping out. You know him, you love him. It is the best dressed man on the pod. It is Daniel Sam. What's up, Dan? Go, 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 go. Let you die. Also helping out, it is Ben Merlis, a.k.a. Ben Edge, a.k.a. Badge. What's up, Ben? What's going on? Rounding us out, it is Anthony Papalardo, a.k.a. Pops. What's up, Pops? What's up, everyone? All right. Dan, can you give everyone the rules of the Super 7 and tell the order that we are picking? Okay. So Super 7, we have random dice rolls that have selected us in our draft pick spots. First pick then selects a band and a song because we're building seven song playlists. Um, That band is not off the table, but that song is. And so then it goes to the next person and then the next until we all have seven song playlists of the best music from 1985. Um, I love it. The order tonight is Zach, first draft pick. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Pops number two, me number three, and Nard Curse, Bench. Ben is back at UCSB earning those Nard stripes. Ben, what's up with the year 1985? Yeah, um, Pops actually did a great job of describing 1985 on our best year of hardcore episode, which is episode number 126. So go back and listen to that one. Um, but this was hardcore's very first fork in the road where it sorts of, it kind of splits off into different directions. So the, for the first time, if you told someone you listen to hardcore, it would be reasonable for a follow-up question to be, what kind of hardcore? Whereas, you know, 80, 81, 82, 83, 84, someone would be like, okay, you listen to hardcore. That's this one kind of music. Um, so what's happening in 85 is you have you have a lot of that first generation 80 to 82 era bands running out of gas and either putting out disappointing follow-up records or just breaking up and then, but at the same time there's kind of a changing of the guard and you have all these new bands coming in you have the revolution summer happening in DC crossovers really picking up steam around the country with a handful of genre defining releases and then you have the tip of the spear that is youth crew starting to happen, which would peak around the end of the decade. So it's an interesting crossroads. You get a lot of early eighties people, even to this day saying hardcore died around this time. Like I, I want to say Stephen blush says 86. Okay. A year after this, whatever, like around the mid eighties people, people are saying, Oh, hardcore is dead, but it's just simply not true. I don't even think there was a decline in popularity. This is when you have those massive Olympic auditorium shows happening where like 4,500 people 
we're going to see the exploited or the dead Kennedys. I think the only criticism you could make is hardcore wasn't quote unquote new anymore. But as I stated earlier, there were plenty of new subgenres within hardcore springing up. So there is new stuff happening within hardcore. Hell yeah. Also, uh, Rambo 2 comes out and Rocky 4. It's a killer year for flicks, killer year for hardcore. Dan, you got anything on 85? 85. I absolutely loved Star Wars toys. Um, I loved WWF wrestling. Um, And to stay on topic with one of your mentions, I did take a picture of Ivan Drago to the barbershop to get a flat top. And my mom was really mad. <laughs> Dude, you're back in Russia? What the fuck? <laughs> I, I was thinking I was thinking this is this must be the first this must be the year where I was first exposed to hardcore music, not that it left any impression on me whatsoever, because Repo Man came out the year before and then it premiered on cable, probably on the Z channel, which is something we only had in Southern California around 85 and that whole soundtrack is hardcore music so i must have heard it by watching pieces of that movie um so that's kind of neat pops you got anything on 85 before we jump in well um we have to mention that's the first year you could buy the most crucial sneaker ever the air jordan one right we have to mention that yeah crushed all other sneakers like a king kong bundy crushed sd jones at WrestleMania 1 in 85 that year. Only 25 <laughs> seconds, people. Holy cow. All right. Jumping into it, I got pick number one, right? Yeah. You know what I'm taking, right? I know something all you guys want. I hope not. And I I'm rude. I'm taking. I'm going. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, you are. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Hey, Ben, hit those bells for me. I'm taking Minor Threat Salad Days. Greatest song in 1985. Holy cow. They're putting like, I don't know, they're tipping the hat at their end of their career, their post-career, right? And writing one of the greatest punk slash hardcore songs of all time. It's absolutely perfect. And if you dig into the deep meaning of the lyrics, it sounds like he's saying emo sucks. So what's your take on this, Dan? Um, This is the... The part where the the musicality is reflected back into hardcore to an extent, like this is a band that was just nothing but smashing, raging music. And this is um, looking back at what they've done and then reflecting on it lyrically and uh, adding a little bit of, um, you know, a somber farewell movie uh type thing with the with the the bells and the um and the way it flows i don't know it's just a it's an amazing song and um it i'm bummed it's not on my list (laughs) what do you think about the lyrical take like is there right he's saying like we used to be rad and now we're kind of sorry yeah i think it's reflecting on them not staying as close you know, because this is notoriously a band that fought with each other all the time, but it's also a reflection of the scene because this is where they're starting to enter into that revolution summer, and you know, 
they were looking back at like slamming and stage diving and stuff like that as being passe and like that that's what we did as babies but now we can think that's some of the the stuff i get from the lyrics you know ben tell me i'm wrong he's being sarcastic um which i didn't know until listening to end on end the discord podcast like this year or last year so he sa- he's saying, look at us today. We've gotten soft and fat waiting for the moment. It's not coming back. And he's like, he he's making, f- it's completely sarcastic, which I don't, I don't get that, but that's apparently the case. Um, he's like, dude, 85, I was ripped. I did 200 pushups a day. Well, this was recorded. Okay. So minor threat breaks up in. Okay, they play their last show in September 83. They break up like October 83. Then they're like, fuck it. Let's just record three more songs. And that happens in December 83. And then this record doesn't even come out until 85. And I don't even think like there might have been no plan to even put the record out, which is weird. I guess they're because, you know, Ian's like an obsessive art archivist. So he just wants everything. Um, But thank God it came out because now we can enjoy it uh, till the end of time. They might have debated like holding it back until like they did the discography, you know. Who knows? But that doesn't come out until like '88. Yeah, with everything. The thing about this is like when I went and saw him do a Q and A, somebody touched on this, and and part of the stuff he was talking about because it it actually rolled into Rob asking him about um why he didn't put out um Swizz. And he he said, well, technically I did. My sister's label, but I paid for everything and got it pressed and did all that. And then he was talking about, like, the reason Swizz, like, didn't want to fuck with Discord was... Oh, Jesus Christ, what the fuck? <laughs> I don't know how to, to stop my phone talking to my computer i'm really sorry i am an old man and i don't know how to do it so i'm gonna go shake my fist at a cloud right now but he was talking about that his era and and his peer group thought like slam dancing and all that was whack and swizz were like fuck you old timers like we're hardcore this is the shit and so and then he touched on um it being Oh my god, I swear to god. Try turning your phone off. I don't know if maybe that'll work, maybe it won't. Yeah, I don't know. That, um but anyway, he talked about that kind of happening. Uh the fact that Swizz thought like, you know, we're hardcore, we want to slam and this is like looking back on it and he was like, it, you know, some of the things that were reflected in Salad Days like speak on it a bit. So I don't know. Pops, do you want to touch on this, or should we go to you for your number one? I will say quickly, don't cover this song. Don't think about it. <laughs> if you think about it, realize it was a bad idea, and don't do it unless you are confident you are bringing something so unique and different to it that the world has to hear it. That's all. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, Pops, number one. We'll go with Youth of Today, Crucial Times, because it's a crucial track. I like the word crucial. I did it. Uh, mentioned it earlier about Air Jordans. Puts me in a good mood. The song just rips. I love I love this record. I love this version of YOT. And that's really all I've got. It's just a straight ripper. There's nothing really too much to wax on other than 
you know, it, it's cool that they were like restarting the clock on this type of hardcore, um, you know, in 1985. Dude, this song rips so hard. This seven inch like rules right out the <clears throat> gate. And there are like tentpole songs. And this is one of them. Ben, is this one of the songs that got rehashed? Like there was one of the younger Republican songs. You know, I can't remember. I'm so bad at remembering that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, my I, bad for putting you on the spot like that. No, it might have been. I don't know. I just can't remember. Yeah, we we did that on a collector's bargain corner. People, it's Porcel's band before Youth of the Day, and it's pretty wild because you know lyrically it's silly, but like the the music is there. It's is so wild. I love this take, Dan. You got anything on it? Um, it, which song was it chosen? Because that's that, okay. Perfect. Because I'm sorry, I had to step away for one second because that person ring uh, calling me repeatedly was dropping off my veggie tikka masala. <laughs> 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 um, I will. Uh, Crucial times is so epic, but I mean, you can throw a dartboard at the track listing on this, right, and just just hit gold. There's something about the anger and vibe and ferocity of of this that is just it's it's just undeniable it's amazing ben you want to touch on this or we go to dan for his number one um it's a great song i agree with everything dan said uh what's your number one dan on oh okay sorry (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) i'm gonna i'm trying to be strategic because you guys are already mining the the gold that I want. So let me see. I feel like I'm going to fight with all of you on a lot of these. Like a lot of these are going to get picked. So I'm going to take something that I know someone else wants. Everyone wants it probably. But I'm going to choose We're Going to Fight by 7 Seconds. Yeah. Um, The fact that this is... One of Seven Seconds' most, like, almost like, for lack of a, for lack of the term, hardcore vibe-wise songs, like, but it's, they still, they're like, we can't let you go without giving you all the melody as well. It's the catchiest song that is uh, laying out a statement of, of purpose. I mean, it's just unbelievable songwriting. I absolutely love it. It's already catchy on before you get to the woes, and then the woes just take it to, you know, it's already a ten. It takes it to a twenty. Yeah, this song is a. It's an example of oi appropriation that works. You know, like this, the sing along factor to it. It's, it. I don't know. It's one of those ones when they. When they played it in practice, they probably knew in three seconds like they had an anthem. It, it just has that feel to it. Absolutely. Well, when they put it out on the previous record in 1982, they knew they had an anthem, and then they just decided to drag it out more, right? Because it comes out on Skin's Brain's Guts. Yeah, but the uh, this version of it is just so tuneful. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Ben, you got something on this, or are we going to you for your number one? Um, incredible anthem. I want to say battery covered it a lot. Um, something cool yeah. that seven seconds does is one of their songs on new wind, which comes out the year after this. Um, um, it, it's either still believe or new Wind. sorry, I can't remember, but 
once the song is over, they go into we're gonna fight and then and then it immediately uh fades out. And it's always like, man, I want them to just keep I just I wanna hear the rest of that. Um I know. What a tease. Right. But wh- which song was it? Is it New Wind or Still Believe? I was listening to it yesterday and I can't remember. Anyway, um my pick, my number one. First of all, look how look how straight edge this is so far. Minor threat, youth of today, seven seconds. Some some drunk punkers throwing their uh, iPhone across the room right now at our picks. Sorry, dudes. Um, I'm going to go with youth. Youth of today can't close my eyes. Uh, I think that is probably the best song on their first record. Shout out to the God Darren Pesky Pesci. He is the drummer of Youth of Today, and we are desperately trying to get him on this show. If you're listening, Darren, please let us interview you, uh, as well as Squirrel, Noodles, and Smelly. This Johnny record, Condom. oh Johnny Condom, that's right. Uh, this record rips, and I'm I'm not sure if anyone listening to it in 1985 would have said this is an entirely new thing happening in hardcore. It was more like a synthesis of straight edge lyrics antidote vocal style and NYHC mosh parts with guitar and bass breaks that created like this perfect, easily repeatable formula. And that's why you have so many bands that sound like youth of today, like only a few years later. Um, but at this point, the, the sound is still rough around the edges. So this is before anyone could have made that argument that, you know, these straight edge bands bands were too clean sounding, which was is, you know, you get that criticism thrown at bold or chain of strength a couple of years later, but it's like no one's listening to this in 1985 and being like, ew, it's so clean. Like, couldn't be. Um, clean looking, maybe. Anyway, can't close my eyes, man. Those bass breaks. I first heard this this song on uh KXLU in nineteen ninety one or two i was already a youth of today fan i'm like oh i don't have this record yet and i remember playing along with my bass to it and my bass hitting the my bed and a chip of it comes out so every time i pick up my bass the only bass i've ever owned i feel the piece missing from the bottom of it and i immediately think about this song with you talking about like this is a new thing that's starting like the youth crew thing um i'll, I'll go in and i'll take a youth of today song too i'm gonna take the song youth of today as my uh, round two pick and they have the best lyric they have in the history of their band. Like here that live fast, die young was just a fad for fucking losers who didn't care. Like what a mission statement, you know, it's like, they're so positive. And then you have like these little parts where like, they can't hold back the anger, right? Like we just might, or like this line in this song, because this record, like it's got some serious cheese on it, right? Like that. I, I, what is it that I believe in the human race or whatever? Like I have faith. I have faith, I have faith yeah. in the human race, stuff like that. Right. But this I'll is like so it. angry and so young, right? Live fast, die young was just a fad for fucking losers who didn't care. What's up, dude. Youth of today mission statement. Let's do this. Uh, you know, but with like crucial times with a uh, positive outlook, this kind of shit. Right. So I love it. I love it. Absolutely. Ben, is this a standout line? Oh yeah. And, and you know, it's funny in that 97 remaster, 
um, you know, where they re- where Rev reissued all the records with new cover art or whatever, and then they reverted back to the cover art, but they kept the same remaster. I swear, at least on the the later version, because this is a, they re-recorded this song. When they say "fucking losers," they went back and they re-recorded themselves saying "fucking losers" because it's like twice as loud as the original version, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> uh, so rad, yeah. Lots of youth they love. I love that. Pops, let's go to you for your number two. I'll go Crow Magnon demo. It's the limit, and the only reason I didn't pick another track is because how brutal the breakdown is how ripping this tune is for when it was recorded and i mean what more can you say you can i guess some people like demo versions better than what ended up on age of coral i like that the vocals are different in this and some of the um the phrasing is a little different it's just um yeah it's a it's a classic and i had to include it yeah it's a great pick i mean the song is a perfect hardcore song i'm uh i never really hear people talk about like not liking the sound of this demo. And I really don't like it. It, cause it sounds kind of like it's supposed to be a good recording, but it's not like the kick drum is really high. And on the fast songs, it's like really distracting to me. But, uh, I mean, it's, it's just cool to have two versions of a lot of these songs. There's only like, I think one song plus the dub thing, right. That's like on the demo and not on the LP. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Right on Dan. What do you think about the recording of this? Yeah. Uh, I, I love it and I, I'll probably be taking a, a track from this too because the way um Harley's sound and and meshed with uh you know Paris etc it really sounds so much more buzzsaw and raw and discharge-esque um than it does when it's recorded in the much more uh you know, expensive studio for Age of Quarrel, which also sounds absolutely amazing in its own right. But what what you get here is just a lo-fi raw version of the songs that you've already known and loved. And it's always fun when, you know, we're not we're not old enough to have had the demo and then Age of Quarrel, you know. We've lived and loved Age of Quarrel for a long time, and then the demo recordings, like, were the ones that you sought out afterwards, and those were the new ones to enjoy. After, even though it's like a, it's a, it's a different version of you know, the thing that you're so familiar with, and and that's exciting, and it's also great because it's so raw, like I say, you know. But it's not like that cool lo-fi, like early '80s hardcore recording it just sounds like they're trying to have a really good recording and like something's off i don't know ben am i crazy no you're not crazy i mean but i love both the age of coral cassette from 85 and the age of coral lp from 86 um but both of them have shortcomings production wise so i can't i can't decide which one i like more because they're both they're both flawed but they're both incredible music and the 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 recording doesn't ruin it for me on either one on either version. That's amazing. Is that consensus pops? Like how do you what how do you compare the two against each other? Do you you love them both or you like one or the other? Yeah, it's it's almost just what I'm in the mood for or something like that. Like I like them both for two totally different ways and it's 
you can almost say like if you took the best of both of them and put it together, it still wouldn't be great. Like they they're just good and flawed on their own. Like you know, there's just obvious things you hear them uh, hear when you put them on that you go, oh, I wish this was this way or this was this way. But I I, th- I also like that we talked about <clears throat> in another episode about how the imperfections are part of the character. Um, I, I just think the big difference, if you're like a, a demoist type of person, then you can just say you like the more raw one better sure. to be like that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 It, what are the flaws of age of coral? Is there like, I hate to keep hitting this word, but is there a consensus of what are the flaws of the age of coral recording? It's great. No. I mean, Harley wishes the bass was, wasn't recorded direct. That's like one thing he okay. brings up a lot. So yeah. I don't know for someone, it's not like I hear that and I care, but for him to have an opinion on it, it makes me think, yeah, that, that actually could sound better. You know, there's something yeah, weird but you about here. The like, Cause there's several songs that start with bass. Like I don't ever hear the bass come on on age of Coral. I'm like, ugh, you know, like, and there are hardcore records where like the bass sounds terrible you know like the original mix of like the outspoken lp like the bass is all super loud and twangy and it's kind of distracting you know i don't give that off age of core at all ben what were you trying to say uh there's something funky with that lp with the re the reverb like it sounds like it was recorded in a big room with room mics and the- it wasn't mixed in a way that really makes it sound that big like like something could have been done better um, you know, what we should do is head to head these two things, you know, because we're yeah. kind of already doing it. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Dan, let's go on to you for your number two. Okay. Uh, just before I say that, though, uh, when I say lo fi, it, it's not necessarily like it's, you know, lo- lots of those recordings that is just, it is what it is. I'm saying when it it's more grimy, you know, like the bass has a lot more distortion on it. There's just, it's just a grimier sound. No, for sure. But how wild would it be if like this demo had like the recording of like, um, victim in pain, you know, and then you hear like a recording that sounds like victim in pain. And then a recording that sounds like age of coral, like both, which are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It would. Yeah, for sure. All right. I'm going to take, um, you know, I've got, okay. I'm going to chance it that something else will be there later. And I am going to take my favorite Ramon song of all time. Bonzo goes to Bitburg. This is, um, it's, it's another song that has, uh, chimes and, and bells on it. <laughs> so that's two on the list already. Um, this is so catchy and so, um, it beautifully written, but the great thing is it's a Ramon song that's actually <laughs> lyrically saying something a little bit more. It's uh, about when a Ronald Reagan went to Bitburg uh, and laid a wreath at a cemetery where, you know, paying tribute to the victims of Nazism and celebrating West Germany's revival. But it it's it was like, something that the Jewish community in America was very um, critical of at the time. So it's, it's interesting to think of the Ramones doing, um, doing, you know, something political in actual wording instead of just being, you know, like punk politics. Um, 
I don't know. What do you guys think about this song? This is my absolute favorite Ramon song. Great song. I never song. even thought about going for like Ramon's singles. The fuck? No, but that's cool because I was about to be like, actually, this came out in 86, but you are correct. It came out as a single in the UK in 1985. Not one one of my favorite Ramon songs, but still a great song. Yeah, it's a good song for for the 80s. Like those albums get really like hit or miss. And this, this is a banger. I like it. Okay. Should I do number two? (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay sorry um i'm gonna be boring and talk about a band that we've already talked about which is seven seconds and the song in your face um if we ever had to do a crew versus walk together rock together head to head i would have to forfeit because those two first two seven seconds 12 inches are equally perfect the verses on this song are fast and then the choruses have those hits without sounding like an actual slow beat. It's just like he's making the hits. Um, this song has two vocal hooks. You get you have that call and response part on the verses that go, it's not just in my head, it's in my heart, it's in my heart. And then you have the choruses that go, use your head, be aware, give a fuck. So it's kind of like the double, it's like double the catchiness of a standard hardcore song all within one minute and seven seconds. Boom. Dude, imagine, <laughs> imagine having to follow up the crew, like how gnarly that is. But like, this is first song out the gate, you know, it's so catchy, so good. And one of the things I love about it is how the hi-hat sounds. It might be like the greatest, like early mid eighties hi-hat recording. It just sounds so bright and there. And like, that's like a sound you can never get in like those, you know, late eighties and beyond like the hi-hat never sounds like this again. And it's just one of those things. Like it's like almost its own instrument or its own player that just like drives the song along and makes it feel so alive. Yeah. The, yeah, the hi-hat is almost like its own instrument. Oh wait. <laughs> oh, it is. Well, it's a part it of like a, you know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> it's part of a collective. It's almost um, its own member, like having a tambourine player. The it's, it's in my heart. It's in my heart. That is a, a backup trope that is probably birthed here, but then goes on to really go through youth crew um, and into 90s hardcore too. Like um, that off mic yell that is just on the heels of the words that are being said. Um, you know, Chain do it and it. so many other bands do. Um, and it's fantastic. But you also hear it on another record from this year. And I'm just going to mention it because I'm not picking it for one of my choices. Where uh, that writes a spring song where he goes, "It's like I'm falling through a hole in my heart." Whatever yeah. the name of that song is, I well, can't remember. <laughs> did I zone out, or do we mention that that's Ian McKay doing the backup? Didn't know that. Yeah, oh, I, I always thought that was a cool little factoid because then you go back and you and you hear it that way and it's just like a cool little uh easter egg or whatever oh so, you just blessed us because i've never known that he's the in my heart it's in my heart dude mm-hmm. what that's so ill that is so ill um yeah talk about this a little more so i can choose my uh number three <laughs> uh seven seconds in your face um 
It's a really good song. Uh, remember that time? That was really cool. I'm gonna go get all Chris Farley show. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Whatever, dude. I'll, I'll, I'm gonna. I'll take. Uh, it, I mean, I, can say, I was gonna pick it. There's some content for you. Yeah, it's one of my three. It's one of my three. So uh, who knows? Fuck. It's like I'm chasing you guys now, but I need seven seconds. Ah, uh, maybe I don't. Yes. Oh. I yeah, you do. But no, I then, know, I yeah. Know. I know, but it's like it gets so rough. much other stuff to mention, right? Know? Because now maybe like maybe that just opened it up, and it's like I missed the two that I really really wanted. Um, I'm gonna take Misfits' "Angel Fuck." It's just a song I've always loved since I was a teen, and uh, yeah, and I felt weird about this record because it, it, this is recorded way before, right, Ben, or a couple years before, but it does come out for the first time in '85. Yeah, I think it's recorded between 78 and 80. I, of course, some Misfits freak is going to be like, how dare you? It was recorded between 78 and 82. Anyway, Misfits broke up in 83. So, yes, it was recorded way before it came out. We know this. But it makes its first appearance here in 85. Yeah, and, and, and even the songs that appear here that were on singles that were released uh, you know, when the band was around, these are different versions. All of all the versions of these songs had never been released before. And then there are plenty of songs, like actual songs that in in any you know form had never been heard before. Yeah, I don't know if these lyrics are questionable or not, but who knows? I've never looked at this lyric sheet. It sounds nice. I'm not taking uh strangulation by fear, so uh my my conscience is clear. <laughs> um, because <laughs> that song is rough. Even though well, that song, taking... <laughs> what's that? I'm not taking more beer by fear because that's rough. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually a pretty good follow-up album. It sounds really good, but uh, yeah, plucking it for tracks was like this strangulation song rips. But good God, these lyrics are there's something else. You know, it's like I don't know. It could be the mentors or some shit. Um, what, what year did Danzig's first solo stuff come out? 88. Like 88 or something, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So funny to think that just, you know, a few years back, like, and with Sam Hain in the middle, you know, like just all of this shit, like just what an output for like 15 to, to 20 years, you know? Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, he hadn't even recorded that Box of Saltine song. <laughs> oh the the three little bottles of Mountain Dew. That's the one. The the yeah. big hit. It would come that's, later. That's it. That's that's the one. That's what he'll be remembered for. What Shrek, Shrek two on DVD. Three little bottle of Mountain Dew. Angel right, fucks Pops a great song. Great song. I I mean I mean I'm sure the lyrics are fucking stupid, but it's the Misfits. Of course the lyrics are stupid, and of course the music fucking rules because that's the Misfits in a nutshell. And this this recording, like along with like the some kind of hate and the a couple other songs, like I love it because it's so fuzzy. It just sounds so neat, you know. Misfits have a a ton of different sounds because they record so many times, and this is one that I really really like. That big fuzzy guitar sounds so nice. Um, and yeah, pops, let's go to you, number three. I'm gonna go with Rites of Spring, Drink Deep. Uh, the reason I chose this track, I wanted to choose something off this record and 
opted for this one in listening to this record a couple times this week just because it's so heavy and it's like slow and brooding. Um, it almost has hints of Fugazi where, you know, it's bass driven in the verses and there's this kind of scratchier guitar at times. And then it also has like fucking killer ass lyric. Yes. It's a promise and it's a threat. And it's just so, uh, it's, it's cool. Cause when you think of revolution summer, it's got this hippie tinge to it or something. And it's like, let's try to be peaceful, but these guys are setting it off with a threat. So that's my pick. Yeah, I love it. And everyone check out the episode that came out a week or two ago where uh, Ben laid out a, uh, a revolution summer starter kit. And we go into all this stuff deeply, including the, uh, the rise of spring LP. We dig into a lot of tracks. So hit those archives, Ben, you got anything on this? Um, it's just hard to pick a best song off this album because there's so many great ones. Uh, but this is, this is one of them. Uh, there's nothing, there's nothing quite like it. I mean, for its time, you know? Yeah. This album I take in as a whole, it, it doesn't, this would, this is a hard one for me to pull tracks off of, but I love this album as, uh, as we talked about on the other episode, Dan, you got anything on this? or you want to go into your number three? Uh, I absolutely love this LP Um, more and more each year too. Like, you know, always liked it. And then it's just been improving and improving with more listens, Uh, like a fine vintage Mexican Coke. Um, Really, really great. I I also um, had a tough situation trying to discern which song I would choose, you know, I've still got so many uh, pans in the fire. So let's have a look. I'm going to, I'm taking Breaking Through by Unity. Yeah. Um, This is incredible. Um, The seven inch as a whole is incredible. Um, but I think breaking through just rises to the top. Um, don't you think like just the, the, you know, upbeat mosh part that it is like, um, amazing. And just the lyrics, like super cool. Um, talking about, you know, friendship and, and what it takes to help somebody and and why you know why it's important to be there for each other and stuff and you know overcoming like especially in this day and age like overcoming feelings and hatred and mistrust and sorrow like jesus look at look at where we're at right now and not saying that it's not always been like that but I I absolutely love the speed and aggression of this song with such a uplifting message, and then you know the last line, the the last line as some may regard it as cheesy, I regard it as fucking. This is what hardcore is all about. Lean on me, your fellow man, for I am your friend. You know, quoting a little bit of Bill Withers. You know, who <laughs> Dude, is that line Withers. is so good, but the best line is because is Dubar. He's getting he's getting poetic on this stuff you know a song called love yeah but there's that line in here the distant battle torn dove of freedom yeah would once again return to fly 
Yeah. It's like to think to put that into a hardcore song is like fucking Dubar, you motherfucking goat. No, this is like inspiration edge or something. It's fucking introspective edge. It's really like <clears throat> you you can make fun of it a little bit because I mean, yeah, there's like the all the feelings or problems on the bricks and stuff, and like sure, there's hokey elements to it, but I think you know, being like that hard on the sleeve and not being it's not really like about bravado. Like, you know, even if you think of other tracks like explanation for action, you're like, this is my mission statement. This is why I'm doing this thing, but everything's so uplifting. And it's not a lot of like you do this. I do that lyrics or you're bad for this. I just think that's like something really underrated about this seven inch. Yeah. Bird lyrics are sick too. Like that Bob Seger song, roll me away. That uh, like that bridge part when he he talks about like standing on a mountaintop. He doesn't know if he's gonna go east or west, but then he sees a bird flying. He's like, "I'm just gonna follow that, dude. Fuck it." Well, I think so. he's taking that dove that was shoved, and he's giving it another life. Oh, Ben, what band is uh, Dan referencing there? I don't know, but um, Ozzy Osbourne bit the head off a dove, so uh, I'm Team Dubar on that one. Yeah, Dan's getting canceled. Anyway, um, let's move on to Ben for your number three. Number three. For Unity, uh, I've, someone pointed this out recently is when the singer follows the pattern of the guitar that like, oh, that's lame. But of course, like some great songs are like that, like that Unity song. But you know, when someone points something out, you can't unhear it. Like you hear, no. you notice it every time now. Like now I notice that every time whenever a singer does that, which is like half of more than half of all hardcore songs from the 80s. Um, well, and so, Iron Man, right? Being the most notable. I was just going to say like every Sabbath song. kind yeah. of. <laughs> yeah. But you know what's interesting, Ben, is it was me complaining about that the last time we talked about the seven inch. And ever since then, I've listened to Breaking Through like on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good dude that seven inch is like so good because yeah. i listened to it several times before doing this because it's like i don't know when you have like an eight song seven inch like a lot of the times it'll be palatable it's easy to like just blast through but it's amazing like because can't close my eyes and this and it's funny because i think we put them head to head on like a previous episode they both bang and they have like the high points like oh god i love them I love him so much. Yeah, for my number three, I'm going to pick the song Home of the Brave by Naked Raygun. So this is from their All Rise LP, which to me is the greatest punk record ever to come out of Chicago. These are these guys are like the kings of three-chord verses. I mean, try writing a catchy verse using only three chords. Like I'm sure those chords have been used before, but I guess in 1985, these ones hadn't. Um Besides the Ramones, of course, who are the kings of three chord verses, but they had the you know benefit of forming ten years before or whatever it is, you know, eight years before Naked Raygun, um, and also Naked Raygun are the kings of woes. Besides Misfit Seven Seconds and of course Pennywise, um, so Home of the Brave is a somber song about giving up on the American dream that my band Surprise Vacation covered a few times so poorly that we stopped covering this song. Um, One of the lyrics is broken dreams and promises. These are the things they have and hold a country that even persecuted the weavers. 
So a little background on that lyric. Um, he He's talking about the United States persecuting the folk group, the Weavers, from Wikipedia. I'm going to read this really fast because this is really interesting. During McCarthyism, Pete Seeger and Lee Hayes from the Weavers were identified as Communist Party USA members by the FBI informant Harvey, whatever his last name is, who cares, who later recanted. And they were called to testify to the House Committee on Un-American Activities in 1955. Hayes took the Fifth Amendment, you know, which allows people to not give up evidence against themselves. And then Seeger, Bob, I'm sorry, Bob Seeger, Pete Seeger refused to answer uh, claiming First Amendment grounds. The first to do so after the conviction of the Hollywood 10 in 1950. So Seeger was found guilty of contempt and placed under restrictions by the court pending appeal. But in 1961, his conviction was overturned on technical grounds. And there's a few other things. I'm, I'll, I'll cut it off there. But it's like we live in this fucking country that like goes after folk singers. Like, come on, dude. What a fucked up place we live in. And this song is fucking great. And it calls, calls out the United States for doing that. Pops, is that better or worse than Ben's history lesson about uh, Howard Beach? It was more correct, politically correct, so I'll take it. <laughs> right on. <laughs> yeah, dude, 85 is a sick year for woes, right? You got Naked Ray Gun, you got Seven Seconds, and then also a band that hasn't gotten mentioned yet and might later scream has some great ones. And Misfits. We, oh, and Misfits. Can we, can we talk about these woes, though? This song is awesome. I love this song, but at times, like, the woe is so lazy it almost sounds like a parody but that makes it even more charming but it's like it's it's so cast off like just like i do the thing man and he's like whoa oh oh like it's so fucking like (laughs) fucking gun to your head type shit um i don't know i like it though hey dude when you're chilling on a beach of the great lakes sometimes you just gotta have that laid back attitude exactly after a couple cold ones man that's right. That's right. Okay, let's see. Number four, where am I going? Uh, I feel like I'm chasing everyone still. I'm going to go. I'm going to take Unity, too, because I need it. And I think the most tuneful song on that is the choruses on Explanation for Action. Those notes, Dubar hits, is like out of this world. Explanation for action, for action, for action. You know? It is so good. And there's some off stuff on the seven inch, but this is like prime ass Dubar, you know, and he would knock it out of the park the next year, you know, screaming for change. But yeah, that's my favorite song. And it's wild. Cause probably the first two songs on the seven inch are like consensus hits. Yeah. And we got two, two deep catalog songs on uh, the playlist. So yeah, I'm going unity explanation for action. Off the UR one seven inch nineteen eighty five wishing well records and number uh, one was oh yeah wishing well number one that's right and that's also right everyone check out that Pat Dubar interview uh, back in the archives. <laughs> Let's <laughs> what were you gonna say, Dan? I was gonna say also available on Indecision Records. Yeah, everyone should get this. Is it still in print? I think it might be. Yeah, dude, Dave's a fucking American hero for repressing this and like having it be available, you know, and also like it's on Spotify and so forth. So, or whatever streaming platform you prefer these days, 
But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just something that's so cool that it's in the vernacular because it wasn't for a long time. Like, I didn't hear this until I think he did it, right? Did he do it in uh, like the year 2000 or something? Yeah, 99. 99. Yeah, he did it in 99, and then Fields of Fire was covering it in 01. That's right. You know, because I knew it by the time you guys covered it. But I, this is not something that I like had when I got into hardcore or anything. So. I think Fields of Fire also covered PMA too, right? Yeah, they covered PMA. Yeah. I, I want to add, I wanted this record, you know, just for that reason, so bad. Like I <clears throat> I heard like one song or something and I was obsessed. I couldn't find it. And uh, it's probably like 94. And this dude, it was real like old zine days like some dude calls your house and his name is edward and he's from norway or some shit so we just have this dude staying there and i had this tom knox shirt with like the black flag ripoff graphic of a dude beating the cop or whatever the fuck and uh he was obsessed with that shirt he ended up trading me the unity seven inch for a skateboard shirt that i don't care about so yeah dude i love it (laughs) i love it pops let's go to you number four I figure someone's going to pick a song from this band and probably not this song. And uh, I'm going Husker Do, the girl who lived on Heaven Hill. I love, I love this band. And, you know, anytime there's two singers like splitting up vocal duties, people choose sides or whatever. I don't like to do that. I enjoy them both, but I just, I like Grant Hart's sense of melody and he has like a more, just generically like old timey way of putting songs together, maybe like hinting at the sixties or psychedelia. Whereas like, you know, I think Bob mold at first wasn't coming from anywhere too far from the Ramones. So it's like bubble gum in a different way. I don't know. They just, they contrast each other really nicely, but girl who lived on heaven Hill, it just, it rips. It's on one of my favorite records of all time from one of my favorite bands of all time. I love it. Ben, what's your take on this? Pops, when you were going to say, I love it when a band has two, I thought you were going to say umlauts because Husker Du has yeah. two umlauts in their name. I'm like, yeah, I like that too. Fucking Motorhead, Motley Crue. Actually, I can't remember how many umlauts are in those ones. Um, what a year for Husker Du. They put out two albums, two full lengths in 1985. And two great albums, I think, you know? Um, I think uh, they have their moments, both of them. They're very they're the these are records where the recording bothers me. They're so trebly, like ridiculously trebly, especially Bob Mould's guitar. And it's obviously a choice. Like it's a conscious thing. Like I want my guitar to sound like this. Um, but yeah, there's there's good I can't remember how this song goes. I'm terrible with song titles, but the title track of for New Day Rising is a classic, and um there's good shit on Flip Your Wig too. And covered by Gary Newman, which is a really weird one to hear. Yeah, that is weird. <laughs> but worth seeking on YouTube if you need something dumb to look up, as we all do. I like that it makes no sense at all song off Flip Your Wig. That's like a hit, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. Well, I mean, you should know you're the preemptive uh, Husker Du <laughs> historian, you know. <laughs> no. Hey. <laughs> Greg Pollard has a podcast about this, right? Can we shout that out? Does someone know the name? It's called um, Something to Do, and it's a it's spelled D-U because Something to Do is a 
song by the replacements so it's a, actually a podcast about the replacements and husker do but then they kind of take they kind of uh do a few detours here and there but kind of in that wheelhouse of those two bands there's also oh, yeah. a public radio podcast about husker do called uh i believe it's do you remember so it's like a five-parter history on the band and it's it's just i'm a sucker for any of those like kind of high production value things with you know, all the just the sound clips are all hitting and I learned a bunch of stuff. It's it's a really cool one to plow through. Well, if you want production value, don't listen to 185 Miles South, episode <laughs> 1 to 15. Um, okay, Dan, let's go to you for number four. Okay, we are in the middle, so I'm going to have to claim something else before it's gone. And then... You know, there's still a couple there on the on the cusp that I can. Yeah, I'm going. Silly girl, Descendants. What an absolute beautiful pop punk song that is just so catchy. You're singing along with it before the song's even ended. The first time you hear it, it's the highlight of this album for me uh, that came out this year, and. You know, it's really adding to my Bonzo goes to Bitburg and, uh, you know, sing along, like have some nicer, sweet moments on my on my little playlist as well. Um, Obviously, Descendants can do little wrong. I won't say they can do no wrong because when you've got songs with farts in them and stuff like I'm not feeling that. But. This is this is their you know, lovesick Milo is is a really good uh, leader of of songs for them. So I, I love this song. What do you think? This is also religious Milo, right? He's uh he's praising God for giving a girl to him. So that's a miss. But uh, yeah, everyone check out the Doug Carry On interview that we did. One uh, of the farters. One of the farters. <laughs> he he is. He's credited as farting on on that on on the Enjoy album, the one after this. Yeah, we go deep into the Descendants with him, so everyone hit them archives. And yeah, this is the hit of the LP, right? Like it's a catchy standout. And I don't, I'm not a huge fan of this LP, really. But I guess no, if no. I was making a uh, a mixtape on 80s Descendants, this would probably get on the tape. Ben, what's your take on this? Yeah, it's a it's. If you think about, if you can stretch the definition of concept album, this is a concept album because the entire B side is love songs. The entire A side, no love songs. When I I bought this on CD in the early '90s, and the whole second half of it, I'm like, oh, all these love songs, and I fucking returned it. And then years later, bought it again, and was like, what was I thinking? This is great. And by the way, silly girl, yeah. I return this and I return the day the country died by UK subhumans. And I'm, and also years later, what was I thinking? This record is great. I, I must've been in a mood that week. Um, Dude, Ben hates love and anarchy. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to interject because this is fucking painful. I was at an endpoint show and they, and they played and before they played, I bought, I don't know one of their CDs with like some fucking collage on the front or some shit. And, uh, my friend looked at me, I'm not going to name him, but he had a thick Boston accent. And he basically said, 
that record sucks. Like, why, why'd you waste your money? And I went back and fucking returned it. <laughs> yes. Peer <laughs> pressure. Like, to one of them, like, to, like, Duncan, like, oh, dude, I actually don't want this. <laughs> hey, Ben, or excuse me, Dan, oh. tell, tell the, uh, the Rick to Life return story. <laughs> so, Champion is playing with 25 to Life in a mashed-up show at Ojai Women's Center. Some girl comes and buys a champion hoodie and Rick is, you know, after she's purchased it, she's walking around the area. Rick is haranguing her to buy something from his traveling flea market. And she's like, I don't have any money left. I just bought this hoodie. And she's, he convinces her and walks her over to the champion booth, returns the hoodie, and then has her come over to his merch booth and buy something from him. <laughs> I hope it was a windbreaker, dude. Shout out to the god that is mentioned in this song that gave Milo love at last because that god is Rick to life salesmanship. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Ben, let's go to you, number four. Yeah, and I was going to say, um, I had uh, on my list of alternates uh, Cro-Mags, It's the Limit, and Descendant Silly Girl. And, if, and on my main uh, list, I had um, Minor Threat, salad day so fuck you all okay i'm gonna pick for my fourth pick um i'm gonna go with a song probably no one else is gonna pick written word by government issue um this is the it's sort of like the title track for their album the fun just never ends because in in the lyrics he says the fun just never ends um the band is slowing down and getting more rock sounding at this point, but they still have that sarcastic sense of humor and riffs for days. I think mouthpiece was heavily inspired by this song. When they did the song cinder, you have that big three chord uh, verse that kind of alternates. And um, if you look at the photos on that mouthpiece EP, Chris Schuster is wearing a government issue shirt. So that's sort of the smoking gun that, that, indicates aha yes that this is the song they're trying to sound like um i'm not sure the story behind the lyrics it sounds like he's referencing an interview someone did with him that he's reading (laughs) (laughs) i was on mute but apparently that came through yeah wrap it up baby sorry anyway it also sounds like he's reading a letter that someone wrote to him Sorry, that was my take. <laughs> I don't know. What did you just say? Nothing. Ass man. All right. Well, I have a question for you. Why do you think outside of DC, a government issue are kind of slept on? That's a question for me? Yeah. Um, they were on Fountain of Youth Records, which I don't know if that has much clout. Like, And also, they changed a lot and they probably changed in a way that like your standard like hardcore punk dude who bought that you know first four seven inches album on discord didn't wasn't feeling because they want to they think of government issue as legless bully p like 81 style fast hardcore and like you know they change pretty quickly after that going into the well, they also have a lot of those bad they have a lot of those bad live records on mystic too Right, that if those were really readily available, like people could easily get government issue records that are terrible. 
Yeah, and the, also- the thing that's weird is they like they tour heavily. They're one of the bands that like you know it. Maybe people didn't like them, but they're still out there doing it and drawing people. So it's just kind of interesting that they're not like a top of mind band all the time. And I, I think they have a ton of classic material, but they just they always feel like just a tier below in how they're regarded. I guess they could be a band that could really benefit from like someone reissuing kind of like a history of CD that like puts mm-hmm. together like the hits and the journey, you know, like that, that is actually one of the, the great things about the CD era, you know, is like the people would like kind of curate collections like that. Um, Dr. Strange did it, but they did complete discographies. They put right, so it's every- everything, right? Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think there's a lot that Ben said that is definitely true. I feel bands that, take left turns from one record to another they lose a lot of the fan base they had and they don't really pick up a ton of new fan base when they do that Mm -hmm. um there's a band that is around nowadays that is polarizing in that respect a lot of people have stayed with them the whole ride i have but lots of people you know oh i only like the early shit you know which is a ceremony you know so Bands that do that kind of thing, they definitely get a lot of ire and maybe, you know, records that probably could be looked upon in a more classic way don't don't get championed because a lot of the negative stuff sticks to it, whereas all the positive stuff from the day is maybe uh, lost in the old echo chamber. Wait, so you're saying, you know, that's kind of, it, it's kind of interesting though. If you think about it in hardcore is like nothing stays around long enough for people to go back to it. Like in general, right? Like if you don't like something when you first hear it and the consensus is like, this sucks. It, a lot of people don't suddenly go back like two years later and go, wait, that was fucking amazing. You know? And then that band's like cool again. It, it doesn't like in the life cycle of a band, it's not like people rediscover their first record and go, Whoa, that's incredible. Like, or some like turn in their career. It's, it's, I guess it's like a lot of it is a product of just the time cycle and that hardcore is so in the moment, like, yeah, you want to experience those songs being played live. And if you missed it and they're gone, you're not as jazzed up anymore. The only thing that brings those kind of things back is a very influential person championing something. Sure. You know, but that's across all genres as well. You know, mm-hmm. like a tastemaker going back and saying, "Hey, everyone, this was a forgotten record that's amazing." You know, then it'll be on everyone's list. We need Dave Grohl to, to hype government issue because I'm sure he's seen them 400 times. <laughs> uh, no sarcasm. Um, but you're, was there a backlash to Ceremony changing their sound so much, or not? Because it seems like they'll play and people there'll be lots of people going crazy for them still. So. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. There's, there's a, I think a lot of the youth is rad because they, they, even some of them are new getting into them now and going back and enjoying the whole thing. Whereas the people who were uh, a lot of the, you know, what may be regarded as tried and true, like hardcore scene people haven't taken the ride with them, whereas they should because all the records are good. Well, right yeah. on. Um, my number, Jesus, one, two, three, four, number five. Oh, uh, this is rough. Let me take this because I need it. 
I'm going to take Raw Power. The song is Don't Let Me See It off the Screams from the Gutter LP. Um, this whole LP is amazing and rages. The first side of the LP is mostly like fast and wild. But I had this on vinyl when I was a teenager. And side B is the fucking shit. And this is the first song on side B. I would listen to it all the time. And it's like the guitarist. is I don't know. This band is so talented because... I was going to talk about the guitarist being so good, but then also the drummer does double kick shout out Ben in like a totally wild way. But this is like for like up tempo drivey mid tempo. It's the most like high energy stuff. It's like the, it's like nervous breakdown level, you know, this song. And then also like the title track raw power. It's like that right hand is a God. You know, like he's just going, he's downstorming as fast as humanly possible. And then the singer over the top of it, I don't, I don't know if, I guess the singer just kind of does two voices because he has kind of a normal hardcore voice. But then on some of these songs, he just like goes totally buck and he's just like, and it's so sick. Just like the juxtaposition of everything, like, oh, so wild. And anyway, so that is my choice. Uh, Don't Let Me See It by Raw Power. Are any of you fans of this band? Somewhat. It's kind of yeah, cool. That, it's kind of cool that they're mixing. They are kind of crossing over. Like it's somewhat of a crossover record. You mentioned the double kick, but like it's no less like just raging punk rock than, you know, a non crossover record. Like you think of like the same year SSD is putting out fucking garbage records. Like, like we're crossing over into into heavy metal, but like in doing it in completely the wrong way, like raw powers, like being tasteful about it. There's a few other bands too. It's kind of neat. And this recording is like so bright. It just sounds great for like 85. It just jumps off the wax. It's so good. Oh, I also think it's, it's pretty wild for that time to be like an Italian hardcore band that's coming and touring the U S and kind of like, establishes themselves in the canon you know people are familiar with that band it's not like super obscure you know for to be doing that in the 80s is is impressive that's true they're like one of the bands you know we talk about you know non-american or english hardcore they're not like a deep cut they're kind of like they're in the conversation yeah and this this lp enjoyed a massive resurgence in like 2000 2001 like i swear so many bands were you know, saying this as their main influence, you know, um, I feel a little bit biased on this because I lived with Chad for a few, uh, at least a year and a half or something. And he played this LP almost daily, very loud out of his room. So went from love this to hate it to weirdly back to loving it. And then, you know, like, indifferent and then back to loving it again (laughs) so i've had i've had some time with this lp and like you say um european hardcore coming to the states and leaving a wake of influence is pretty amazing and and recorded in the states paul mahern the singer of the zero boys produced this record and so i assume they recorded this in in indiana um but pretty neat Another notable thing about this record is like the repress that happened around then, like the year 2000, 
is like some of the worst repressed cover art of all time. <laughs> like the first, like the LP, like the normal record is like this crazy, like acid trip. Like, I don't know what it is, like a duck or something that's like melting. It's some <laughs> yeah. weird shit, right? But it's like, yeah, striking it like some weird, like butthole surfer shit it rules. Yeah. It's like totally like abstract and bright and jumps off the page. And then like the repress is like, a dog barking like a, a black and white photo of a dog barking it's just yeah. like what the fuck like it, it makes no sense so whoever did that shame on you you know shout but, out uh, dave from tang you're probably involved somewhere <laughs> <laughs> well it, it was a clear photo so i don't think dave was involved <laughs> it wasn't pixelated um pops let's go to you number five i'm gonna go scream bet you never thought uh i think scream's kind of another one of those bands that if it weren't for our pal, we mentioned Davy Grohl, maybe they don't get talked about as much, you know, kind of a, I think a little slept on. Maybe that's because they're not like rare core or whatever. Maybe they were a band too long. I don't know. But what I love about this song is just, it's energetic. It's super tuneful. The bass is kind of ripping around. There's this section where they totally go into like a damned sounding part that doesn't, it kind of almost doesn't match the song, but it works in like a, it's it's like a cool, almost, I don't want to say homage. I think that's given it too much credit, but you know, it's just a cool dynamic shift. So yeah, that's, that's my pick for five. This is another album, kind of like that seven seconds album of the same year where it sounds so bright, but still has that old school feel like it, it's just awesome. Ben, what's your dig on this? Yeah, this is a really good album. I don't like it as much as their first album, Still Screaming, um, but it is very good. And I'm trying to think of what my favorite song. I've had tr- I've thought about this a lot. Like, what is the best song on this album? And I, I haven't reached a conclusion on that. I had three on my short list, but I took them off because I was too confused. Uh, Dan, do you have some on this, or should we go to you for your number five? Uh, we'll just roll into number five. I mean, Scream's cool. They've never been one of the ones that has ignited me. So, hey, Davy uh, G, get on that hype, yeah. uh, hype up Dan on Scream. <laughs> if I see anything with a talking head of Dave Grohl on it anymore, I, I, it, I might jump out a window. I already heard that he's just written and produced the new Liam Gallagher single that's about to come out, so I'm scared. But you never know; it might be good. All right, number five, you say? That is correct. This is this is tough because I've got a million things to get, but we've tapped in here. We may as well have it on all four of ours, you know, because I don't want the listeners to be on my back. I want them off my back. Your expectations are too much instead of letting them just <laughs> whatever i'm fucking up the words um expectations used to today cut off i can't close my eyes this is the growly caged uh honey badger let out to do vocals that just we love we absolutely love it i love the formula of this song it's aggressive i love the off my back uh backups being uh both youth crew and layering over the the thing it's just it's absolutely brilliant they're, they're not like placed in such a typical 
time part for what a backup. The backup starts the line to an extent, which is pretty interesting. Um, I I absolutely love this song. I, I you can't you can't fucking go wrong with expectations. It it's it's up there for all the entire genre of youth crew. It's one of the best songs. I feel like with youth of today, what they do well is so obvious that it's it's almost underappreciated that you know anyone can play some some like ripping power chords or whatever. You have to come up with something over it. There has to be some type of phrasing or whatever. And the just the construction of youth of today songs and the phrasing and the just those like nuances you're talking about about you know vocals blending together, this line starting that line, and I I just can't help but shake. You know, and I think we talked about it before that Ray was into show tunes and it's just <laughs> everything's so theatrical, like Youth of Today songs could be a musical <laughs> in the fucking coolest way. And I think that's what separates them, like to just kind of like really embrace it. Like this is a performance. This is something that we're all participating in. And I'm do- I'm not just shouting at you. Like there's there's a lot of thought be- behind the delivery of all these songs. So, yeah, just a total ripper. Sondheim core. Yeah, he wrote songs on the piano, I think. Yeah, he wrote, he says he wrote um, at least the song Break Down the Walls on the piano, which is interesting because Ian MacKay wrote a lot of the, um, a lot of the Minor Threat songs on piano. So you have the singer of a band writing, you know, who just sings in a band writing songs on piano and then showing it to the rest of the band and having them figure it out on guitar and bass. Pretty neat. Yeah, so did, so did Greg Graffin. Although he I feel like he's told too. this story. I feel like he told this story before, so I don't feel like uh, fucking mentioning someone. But Sammy, Sammy had talked about being on tour with Youth of Today and Ray listening to show tunes, driving by himself while everyone was sleeping, and then looking over at Walter and like this light bulb went off. Like that's that's the secret sauce. What the fuck? And I just like that. That image is just. It's like the least likely thing that I thought would happen on a Youth of Today tour, you know, that other than like, I don't know, smoking crack or something. It's just <laughs> fucking funny to think of. Yeah. I wonder Sweet. if show tunes make you physically strong and morally straight. <laughs> well, they don't. Never mind. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Ben, let's go to you for your number five. Um. I'm going to grab an alternate since you guys are jacking my main choices. Um, And when I tell you this song, you're going to be like, why was that an alternate? That song rules so fucking hard. It should have been your first choice. Dirty Rotten Imbeciles. I don't need society off the dealing with it LP. Um, DRI is um, the best band that plays that fast ever. Like, you know me, I don't fucking like power violence. I don't like um fast core, whatever you'd want to call like that that kind of uh, scissor beat type shit. But goddamn, DRI does it so well and they and it's not just like a constant. Like they know how to like mix things up. They know how to incorporate slow parts. The cool thing about this song is it starts slow and he's telling you the lyrics slowly and then when it goes fast, it's the same lyrics again so you can actually sing along to the fast part, which you never would have been able to do if he didn't feed you the lyrics, which is like your numbers up. You have to go. The system says, I told you so, you know, fuck the system. They can't have me. I don't need society. And I want to, and it's just so angry. It's just like angry at, 
you know, the military industrial complex and society f- putting us I- into, you know, throwing us into wars. And it's just so like, it's just like a perfect punk song. It's just so simple. And it's like, there's a billion punk songs that try to tackle this subject pretty much like every discharge song or whatever. And, uh, and crass too. And this one does it uh, as good as any of them. And it's my favorite. If, if this is even crossover, I don't even know if this is considered crossover yet. Cause it's so punk. But if this is considered a crossover album, this is by far the best crossover album ever. Oh, God damn. But then there's Leeway and Cro-Mags. Okay, never mind. Whatever. It's up there. <laughs> is this considered crossover yet, Pops? Or is this like the last one where you'd consider straight hardcore? I st- I feel like it's still straight hardcore. Like the songs are, they're just way too short. Like I, I kind of equate crossover with the song length starting to stretch a little bit. These are still just blasting, you know? I would say yeah, the true. thing the thing that makes this fall into what people might consider it being a crossover record is because this was so fast and so aggressive and so ripping that it pulled in metalheads to love it when normally they'd look at a lot of punk stuff and go, oh, I don't dig that punk shit. But this appealed in you know when it came out and then they garnered a, a metal following after this, you know? Yeah, and they're also this is like a, a fine line. Like the songs are punky goofy, you know, like couch slouch or something. And like they're, but they're not like crossover thrash goofy, which is, it's a, it's a weird line to draw, but, the, but there is kind of like, you know, like, cr- like crossover, uh, like thrash goofy is like, you make up some acronym, you know, like SB, you know, like, what was, you know, like whatever this song's called, stupid fucking bitch SFB or whatever, you know? And like, that's the type of shit. Whereas this is just more like, like juvenile goof, juvenile goofy and stuff. And I, and I think that makes it less crossover. If that makes any fucking sense. Yeah. It's, it's wild because they do have like the humorous stuff and then they have some really good lyrics too. It's kind of a shame. It's, it's almost like how a lot of the, like the Epifast stuff would be right. Like, like mm-hmm. let's just use no effects for an example, right? They have some of the dumbest lyrics of all time, but then they also like have some songs where the lyrics are pretty good. And it's like, or screeching weasel, you know, even like they have like really dumb songs and they have some songs that are really smart. It's, it's kind of a shame. Cause I think that as soon as you enter like the dumb lyric world, you can't really shake that. And like, you don't get the, cr- the props for like your, your smarter songs. But, hey, Hey, okay. I'm going number six. I am taking the song Axeman by the band Amoebics off the Arise LP. This song is so sick. And I don't really know how to describe it because I don't listen to a lot of music like this, but I like this LP and I like the one that follows a lot. And I don't know, I guess to my stupid brain, it would be Sabbathy and slower mower heady. Like Ben, you, you said that. Um, but yeah, the verses on this are so ill. It's like these slow triplets that are just like trotting. It is, goes over and over like lock up your children. The axe man is coming. And then like the chorus just goes like slaughter. He's coming. You know, it's just like this long droning thing. But for some reason, it just like gets me in the right spot. And it's so ill. And then the best part 
is then it just goes fast out of nowhere for no reason. And like, doesn't do anything with it. Like it's so YOLO. And you know, I love that because like, there's no singing on this fast part. They don't go to a solo or anything. It's just fast for the sake of like, yo, let's toss a fast part in there. It's like the anti breakdown, right? Cause the whole song is like a slower tempo. And then the fast part is the breakdown. It's like breakdown in reverse, dude. It's kind of mind blowing. But uh, yeah, this song is so ill. This band rips. I've always taken in this LP and the next one, like as a, as a full thing. Like we talked about like the rights of spring. Like I take the package and it was weird to dig in and try to like pluck off a track, but uh, this was just too ill not to highlight. And so uh, that's that. Are any of you into this band at all? I just got to tell you that Axeman has no glint in his eye. <laughs> Lots of other murderers have glints in their eyes, but the Axeman, <laughs> he's fucking all business. No, no humor. <laughs> I, this is this is uh, this LP launched a million butt flaps and a million patches on battle vests and stuff, you know, like this is um, well celebrated for everyone who likes really heavy stuff. Yeah, for sure. Okay. God, Godfathers of crust. That's what it says on, uh, I mean, I've heard a million people say that, but it says that on discogs, the Godfathers of the crust punk subgenre, which well, hell yeah. butt flaps Never. everywhere. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, dude, who sold more uh, ass flaps, this or Osrotten? Oh, yeah, that's the, that's the head-to-head we've all been waiting for. <laughs> I think <laughs> you got to give it to Osrotten, dude, the kings of the ass flap. But uh, well, do if we do that as a as a, can we call it butt to butt? <laughs> <laughs> that's a wild thing, though, right? Like Amoebics had like at least like a five ten year head start over Osrotten, but Osrotten brought the the heat late. Hmm. Don't hey! Don't claim a winner until we make that uh, fucking butt flap brackets, and we can actually look at this and see where we land. Okay. All right. Yeah. Let's do some butt flap brackets on a pod coming up. <laughs> we'll, do a, we'll do a butt off, and then the in the <laughs> finals it'll be a serious butt to butt matchup. Butt flap bubble, dude. It's gonna be wild, people. You know, <laughs> wash your balls. Okay. Let's go to you, pops, for number six. Okay. Um. I think I'm the only late flagman on this pod. So I wanted to pick something I like. I like all black flag except for what the, and probably something else I'm forgetting, but so I'm picking black flag in my head, the title track. I just thought it would be cool to pick, you know, the furthest departure where they, you know, the record where they did something, even different from the other records. But what I like about it is uh, I like the repetition of the song. I like how, you know, the riff is just fucking, <clears throat> it like gets in your head in a bad way. It's kind of like this really fucking Travis Bickle. I live in a shitty apartment. I hate my life type dude, rock and roll. And, uh, you know, there's this kind of like swing where you, you almost feel like they're, tr- they're almost, trying to maybe in their head they're playing like this medley version of the stooges but it's not like a cool swing it's just like a sleazy bum out fucking depressing swing especially if you envision like what black flag looked like at that time performing it so i don't know i like i like stuff that's a departure i like things that you know push you know this is like one of those records that like a lot of metal artists go back to or like noise artists or whatever um even 
you know, some Seattle bands have talked about this record. So I just wanted to throw it on the list because it's, it's one I've always loved. Yeah. We talked it pretty heavy on the Patreon episode of the Kira podcast. So people smash that Patreon button and then hit them archives. Ben, what's your take on this? Yeah. Another band like Husker Du, who put out two albums in the same year on SST in my head, a loose nut. And then in my head, and actually they put out that live 84 album in 85. So they really put out three albums in 85 and they're kind of like, they're, they're, they're shooting their shot and then they break up the following year. Um, I, I, I like, I much prefer the, the loose nut album over the, in my head album. In fact, the only song on the, in my head album I like is only on the cassette and CD version of, uh, in my head and the song is called out of this world. Um, and I have no idea why the best song was left off the vinyl. It's kind of weird, but, um, you know, they, I, I think they replaced their rhythm section. Oh no, no, this is still with, uh, still with Kira and bill. They replaced their rhythm section towards the end after they had, I think recorded everything. And everyone says that was awful. Um, not my favorite black flag shit. Was I like that song out of this world though. That's like, that's kind of the birth of, uh, of like where Rollins would go with this really like the repetitious vocals and like sparse lyrics. And it's, it's, it's not doing a lot musically and it gives them this like space to get kind of interesting. That, that is a ripper of a track. Marky Smith is definitely being channeled. Um, Can you have a take on this, or you want to go to your number six? Well, I'm not a late flagman um, at all, but I respect um, my friends that are really into this stuff because, you know, it is taking that ride that, you know, what we discussed earlier, that doesn't happen a lot. And um, I bet you these records, and I, I bet... Anthony can probably attest to it is they're much harder to get into, but once it clicks, it probably really starts speaking to you, but it's never clicked for me. Yeah. It's kind of like, for whatever reason, like you could hear like certain reggae records a bunch of times. And then at some point you're fucking focused enough or calm enough, or just in a mood where you're like, Oh, I don't like this doesn't change that much. And like your perception of that style of music changes. It's almost like you're for for some people, right? It's like your taste buds change. Like, oh fucking crispy Brussels sprouts. Oh, not bad. I don't know. <laughs> for for fucking like I guess they are it is kind of like a Brussels sprouty record, but I like Brussels sprouts and I like Black Flag tail end. That's a question though, Pops. Did you like this stuff when you were straight edge? I liked it from the first time I heard it, like I never had any weird, like, I don't know. I never had a period in my life where I was super linear. You know, I just, I always like different music for different moods. And I, I also like, I don't have the baggage of like seeing black flag at a certain time and watching them change. Like, I don't, I don't know. I never, I never looked at music as that thing. Like, yeah, sure. If, your favorite straight edge band starts playing like stoner rock. That's jarring, but also it could be really sick. I don't fucking know how many straight edge bands do we need doing the same kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, I got this record pretty early on and I've always loved it. And another thing too, is like 
when you're younger and you are driving around listening to cassettes and shit like that, or it's playing in some car and you have no control over it, you're with the older punker just feeling cool that he gave you a ride, you know, have your license, like you, you synthesize music more. So I don't know. I just, it, I listen to this record so many times. It's just like part of black flag to me. It's not like that weird record at the end. Right. Yeah. I relate a little bit cause I had my war really early, but even then it's like, I just like side a, you know, but whatever I'm a Neanderthal. Um, <laughs> I've always wanted to love this stuff. And one day I hope I do, you know, but, uh, respect to them. Okay. Let's see here. We're going to Dan round six. Let's do it. Okay. I'm going to do, um, Persistent Resistance by the Verrucas. Um, this is an amazing song. This is like, so UK82 is starting to, around 85, is starting to be watered down, or some of the bands are trying to go on and be a little bit more musical, but there are a few bands that are that have been there since the start of it, but are carrying on with this very political harder edge style um this song has an amazing like dare i say it melodic intro it's not that melodic but it is melodic compared to what you get in this style um and then it goes in and it's just about like keeping the fight going like as we've discussed in the past about uk to like it's very polit- politically driven very angry and this song is is no different from that it's uh, an absolute ripper. It's, you know, definitely should be checked out by everyone uh, on the playlist because it's um, one of the LPs that doesn't have as much of a wide pressing as some of their other material. And it's just it's just a, an amazing song. So uh, the Verrucas are amazing. I've always, you know, loved that, it's a different spelling of, of Veruca, which is, you know, the thing that on your foot. So I, I don't know if this is a thing that happened in America, but whenever you went to a public pool in, in my childhood or all over England, all over the UK in general, you would have to walk through this thing called a Veruca bath, which like disinfected your feet. So you weren't bringing in like, (laughs) bacteria on your feet that would give other people verrucas um was that everything at like public swimming pools that any of you no we're just gross over here in the united states we just get each other diseases only public pools in in nard were the high schools used to be open in the summer sometimes and you'd go and swim there so like they didn't have any sort of machine like that oh well no this was this was at public school pools too so if Mm. you like got changed and you went you know either at the leisure center or if your school had a pool there would still be a veruca bath i don't think it's happening anymore but maybe this is due to the fact that you know back in england like lots of people didn't have anything you know lots of lucky families had baths in the house but you know coming out of you know in the 70s Tons of people would have to go. Well, look at Quadrophenia, right? They all go and have uh, baths at the public baths. So you know, it's a a thing that maybe England was just so far behind America and the glorious 
showering at home that was unknown to some of the people that were spreading verrucas all over the place. But <laughs> I digress. The Verrucas. By the way, this sounds like a fascinating documentary that I'd like to see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Soundtracked by the Verrucas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Uh, if this is probably the most underrated thing on the playlist, along with Government Issue, I would be interested. Ben, do the best five Government Issue songs. Dan, do the best five Veruca songs. And let's dive in at some point. I would be super interested. And Ben, let's go to you for round number six. Oh, by the way, I saw Verrucker's blow snap case the fuck off the stage, probably around 1999 at the living room in Goleta. It was just their tours happened across. So they ended up on the same show. And it was like, oh my, like Snapcase was kind of on their on their way down. And the Verrucker's had already been a band for like almost 20 years. And they were just like plowing through you know, all this, this like fast UK hardcore punk. So it was awesome. They, they were not a band I was, I was familiar with at the time. It was just a band that, you know, they missed me uh, when I was getting into GBH exploited uh, discharge and all that stuff when I was, you know, 13, 14. Um, but it was great. And this is a good song. I, hmm? Oh, sorry, Ben. Go ahead. Oh, this is a good song. I actually listened to it while you were talking. I was listening to you talking and the song at the same time. <laughs> well, it, it's it's funny that you said, you know, they played there. They they came to America probably um, every other year for a good five or six year period around that time. And they played the Che and I was volunteering there that night. And it was Crust-mageddon. Like, you know, we're trying to, <laughs> as the volunteers of the Che, you're trying to, trying to get people to not be drinking alcohol on the on the property and we like seriously it was like a Blair Witch hunt in the woods just grabbing 40s grabbing like bottles off of people and then I I go further into the woods I'm like because you know Spence asked me to go make sure of this because the uh, UC security was like coming around and they would cancel the show if they caught a bunch of people drinking so I go further into the woods and I disturb a young crust couple banging their brains out <laughs> right before they got in the pit for the Verrugas. I'm like, oh, sorry, folks, but you you really shouldn't be fucking in the woods. <laughs> so in the bushes. You, you missed you missed like the easiest the easiest tie in to a, a pitch for yourself. I just did. I said, shout out, <laughs> fucking in the bushes. Right on. Also, um, that night. <laughs> Artie, myself, and Chad were just loving the madness of like all the crust kids going fucking wild. And there was a rolled up carpet off to the side of the stage. And we unrolled it and threw it on top of the circle pit. So people are like swarming under this carpet and encasing them. And it was the best thing ever. It's an intimate circle pit, dude. <laughs> Very much. I love it. Ben, number six. Number six. Um, Bad Religion Frogger. So this is from their Back to the Known uh, 12-inch EP. And this has the distinction of being the only Bad Religion record that Jay Bentley does not play on. He's the bass player. He's not the bass player on this record. A guy named Tim Galagos is. Also, Greg Hetson is the sole guitarist on this record, which never happened before or since. It's a very weird-sounding record. 
It's their attempt at a return to punk music after doing Into the Unknown. And there's like a sadness to it. This is like a sad song. There, There's also a Seinfeld episode based on this song where George has to get across the street with a video game machine to preserve his high score. It's season nine, episode 18. So go ahead and watch that. I don't think that. it's about this song. I know. <laughs> but it's one of the greatest Seinfelds ever, right? Yeah. That, so- that episode is actually about the Menace song, GLC. <laughs> You're full of shit, shit, shit. I, I have no idea what GLC stands for, but I know how to sing the chorus of that song. That's like, that's the uni- U.S. punks who are fans of U.K. punk in a nutshell. Like, yeah, fuck the fuck the y, uh, YPC. Like, it's just like three letter initials. Like, I don't know what this is, but I hate it. Well, <laughs> GLC stands for George Lewis Costanza, but it also stands for the Greater London Council. Okay, okay. This album, this album is weird because it's like. Their return is in the name, right? Back to the known after doing into the unknown, but it's weird. It's like slowed down, and I love all these songs. They sound great on the. Uh, they put out that VHS that they record in a bunch of like on their Euro tour on like when they're touring on Suffer. I think the the VHS is called Along the Way, and which is another song from this record. And the songs are so good on that. Cause they're a little sped up and more energetic, but this LP or 12 inch EP, it just sounds so slowed down and, and kind of wonky and also lazy, like to record the song bad religion for the third time. Like, stop it, dude. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's not my favorite. Well, obviously this is my favorite song on this record. Um, fun fact, my old band bad reaction played this song live at the knitting factory in LA with Greg Hetson on second guitar. Um, and it was an exhilarating 45 seconds. <laughs> that rules. That is I cool. love it. Um, okay. Any other takes on this record of the song? I just knew something from this album was going to come up with either you or Ben on, on the pod. I had them all in my back pocket. If like everything went totally wrong, <laughs> you know, but, but uh, I've, I've lucked out. It's pretty good. I do not like the number one slot. It's I don't rough. think. Yeah. I don't like it. Um, because I feel like I was chasing you guys on. I was worried about not getting my Unity and my Youth of the Day songs, and I didn't get my seven seconds. But you know what? That's on me, dude. Because I could have taken. We're gonna fight first, and I'm okay with my pick. Okay, round number seven, the heartbreak round. I am taking the song "Watch It Burn" by the band Doctor No from their Burn Seven Inch. Comes out in 1985, Mystic Records, and this is probably my favorite Doctor No song. It's so ill, you know, like they're the narcore band that's doing kind of like the DB thing, but Kyle's voice is so wild and these lyrics are great and out there. And I don't know. It, it sounds like a classic motorhead song, you know, which is what a lot of like the best DB kind of sounds like, like a sped up motorhead. And yeah, it's just, it's so in the pocket and like, it's wild. They just do like, there's like the breakdown part or like the bridge at the end there. Like the way that they go into like this raging solo is so cool. Like, and then they just blister you out of nowhere with it. It's so good. Raging the whole way through is like that. The DB it's like a three minute song that like never feels like it's dragging the, uh, the vocal cadence is like so amazing. He's like dancing over the top 
of like a really simple riff on the verses. And then there's a catchy chorus. It's like basically all you could ask for in a drivey punk song. Absolutely love it. And it is my song number seven. My heart is not broken. It is Watch It Burn by Dr. No. Ben, what's your take? Yeah, this is, I was listening to it right now. Um, This is one of the only like main Nardcore bands that never connected with me. Like, um, it's fine. It's fast. It's punk. It's yelly. It's guitar solo-y. It's, I just don't, I have no emotional connection to the band Dr. No. I love aggression. And I really like Ill Repute and Stalag 13. They're kind of in the middle for me. And I just not a Dr. No guy. I don't know why. Don't kill me. It's because Kyle won't come on the pod, dude. You're loyal to your your boys. You know, he wanted to originally. Then he only wanted to do it in person. We stopped doing it in person because of COVID. And uh, yeah, Kyle, come on. I'm not scared of the spooky flu, dude. And I'm not scared of Antifa. I just want to get you on the podcast because you're an important figure in uh, punk and nardcore. So do it. You know, (laughs) not scared of the fucking spooky flu, dude. That sounded way too Joe Rogan. <laughs> yeah, it is. Unfortunately, it's, it's gone a little that way. And I hope he comes on and he can talk about whatever he wants to talk about, dude. You know, but uh, yeah. So, Zach, let me ask you this. How close was it to taking something from RKL over this? Like, were they side by side? Yeah, I mean, Keep Laughing comes out this year, right? Yeah. So... I thought about it and I love that record, but you know what, dude, 85 is so heavy. Yeah. Like there's a lot of stuff this year that I wanted this not on. I mean, like, dude, I wanted one of those like 23 TRI songs. Come on. You know, we'll go through it in the, uh, the honorable mentions. We might spend a little more time there. Cause we haven't gone super, super long. We might do a super seven in under two hours, which uh, would make my day. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, Pops, let's go to you for your number seven, Heartbreaker Round. Yeah, there are some bands and songs taken that I wanted to take. So for this final one, I just don't give a fuck. And when I found out this was available to choose uh, because it was you know on a digital platform whose name I don't want to say right now, I said, fuck it, I'm taking OG Gym Core, D-Y-S, No Pain, No Gain. Hell yeah. <clears throat> the song's fucking ridiculous. It like it's a beefy enough recording that when they go into, you know, that like classic Boston Neanderthal mosh, it works. You know, on the LP, Dave Smalley has fucking Gordon Gecko hanging out with him. It's just, you know, Bosch cover. It's pretty fucking wild. I, I love this tune. It's the highlight of a not great record that, you know whatever universally dogged there's some high points we don't need to you know everyone has their opinion on what boston was doing at this time but it's kind of like the last great song of that era or something it's so good we we talked it a lot on uh we did a podcast where we talked the best songs off records that aren't universally thought of as great records and you're right dude this song is so good and Dillinger 4 covered it and knocked it out of the park as well. Ben, you love this song. Yeah, and actually, I am a defender of this album. Dave Smalley's voice, um, if he wasn't trying to be Rob Halford and just sang in hardcore voice, 
the whole album would be easily thrice as good as it is. But it is it has some really good songs. Actually, I'm a bigger fan of The Loner, which is track three on this album. That's like, I mean, if he sang like Dwid, that shit would be Integrity like five years before Integrity. Uh, and Late Night, Late Night. Like me and Jeff Capra, we love saying that to each other. Late Night. It's so good. Like I listen to this more than I listen to the first DYS album now. I can't say that it's better because it's deeply flawed with the with the with the hair metal style vocal, but man, it it has really good music on it. And and it's so much better than DYS's attempt at playing, you know, whatever hard rock. Oh my god, so much better. You mean SSD? SSDs. I'm sorry, did I say that? Okay, yeah. SS Society System Decontrol doing how we rock and break it up. Ooh, stinkers. This one pretty good. Dan, you got some on this or you want to jump to your heartbreaker song? Well, we've talked about it in the past. It, it's it lyrically it's very comical, like without intending to be. And I, you know, I always like a chuckle, a look back and chuckle. Um but yeah, I don't dig this album at all. <laughs> all right, heartbreak. What if you're gonna put this album against uh, the uh, sound of our town? <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. It, I, <laughs> I'm on the fence here. So yeah, you're what? gonna go sound of our town because the dog is cute. <laughs> No, I'm going. Do I go stumped? <laughs> minor threat? No, because it's. Oh God, it's so good though. Even it, if it is like a throwaway song for them to it? an extent. Do I take something off the Chromag demo because I've said I would, or do I go very deep and possibly? I mean, it technically is punk because it is them. But I love the song so much. Oh, fuck it. I'm doing it. Is it a dream by the damned? It is there. Like, it's off of Phantasmagoria, which is their very piano heavy, um, pseudo goth punk album. But this song is so catchy and so. Um, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that this isn't like up there with things from like Darren Depeche mode and, <laughs> and uh, you know, soft sell and things like that at the time. Like it's got that sound to it without, you know, without the drum machine, but it's got such a great eighties goth punk melody running through it. Dave Vanian can do no wrong. He sings beautifully on this. The captain is, uh, I don't know if the captain's in the band at this point. I'm not sure, but uh, Vanian is just killing it. And Phantasmagoria, I like fuck with this album heavy. So I had to have something off it. Um, Love the damned, love everything except for that time we saw him at, uh, they put out grave mistake at the house of blues and cause we'd seen the damn two years in a row before. And it was two of the best shows I'd ever seen in my life. 
Like they were absolutely amazing. Patricia Morrison just killing it. We go to this House of Blues show. They're releasing Grave Mistake, and they just play the album from start to finish. And what a fucking punishment that was. Anyway, anybody got any opinions on Is It a Dream by The Damned? Yeah, I don't like this. I'm acting like a certain someone from a different podcast. I don't like this album at all. I stopped listening to them. And two or three albums before this one, I never got into this when I was, you know, no, but seriously, like what a great fast punk band. And then they become this like gothy band in the mid eighties. And I just don't feel the energy. And I do like gothy shit. I love Susie and the Banshees. So it's not even that I, it's not even that I'm against the direction they went. It's that the music is just doesn't have a punch to it. I don't know. Well, instead of, instead of uh, speaking, Go ahead and throw it on your headphones as you've been doing all pod long. I, I just did. I just did. I'm not feeling it. <laughs> it's so good. It's so catchy. What do you think, uh, Zach Pops? I can't wait to hear it on the playlist. I've never heard it. it it's very um, early 80s alt radio. Um, very. It, it sounds like if you like if you mixed it into a set, kind of like what you said with with uh you know other big songs of the era people would just assume it was like oh what's that big song i've never heard <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. it, it it has that feel to it i mean i'm i'll go deep into the damned catalog and you know i like this record a lot and that's i think it's a great pick it's it's cool to be included on there hell yeah plus danny might get an instagram voter right that goes hell yeah the damned <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> so. They're gonna say they're gonna at Brandon Cruz and say, Oh, what are they talking about having this damned record on it, right? Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Ben. Let's go to you, shout number out, seven. Shout out the Barnacles. Shout out. All right. This is this is it. To seal the 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 Super Seven nineteen eighty five playlist, I was gonna go. Rights of Spring, Persistent Vision, but we've talked Rights of Spring, and here's why I'm not going to do that. Because Pops picked a Husker Du song, and if I was just some rando, if I was myself looking at everybody else's picks, you know, an outsider, I'd be like, they picked Husker Du without picking the replacements, but the repl- I like the replacements more. So I'm going to be that guy, and I'm going to go replacements bastards of young bastards of young is on the tim lp uh sire records and it's sort of like the theme song to i'd like to say my cousin's generation which would be which would be like people born in the mid 60s and so the lyrics some of the lyrics are god what a mess on the ladder of success where you take one step and miss the whole first first rung dreams unfulfilled graduate unskilled and so um, it's sort of like, you know, co- college educated people who don't have any useful skills in real life, who are looking at their uh, parents' generation and, and uh, it's the whole, it's the Gen X anthem, but it's also a great song. And the funny thing is everyone, everyone um, hears the chorus as being we are the sons of no one, bastards of young, but the actual lyric is wait on the sons of no one bastards of young um is that tripping any of you out right now who've who've heard this song a million times and thought they were saying we are the sons of no one 
Yeah, yeah. I, I've always sang along to it as we are. But there's many things that we've done that to in the past where you're like, what? Yeah, <laughs> I want to be a bum. Yeah. Right, I want to be a bum. <laughs> don't don't get at me, people. Yeah, this is cool, but uh, I only like the first four LPs, man. This is the fourth LP? It's the fifth. Um, The first one is Sorry Ma Forgot to Take Out the Trash. The second one is uh, Hoot Nanny. The third one is Let It Be. And the fourth one is this one, Tim. Am I wrong? What about Stink? Stink is an EP. Oh. You can't fit that on a seven inch, dude. It's a it's a LP and one of your five speak. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the early stuff is great front to back, and then it starts getting spotty a little bit later. Like, uh, but this is a great song. I think all their albums have at least a few great songs on them. That rules. I think that these lists are great. Let me go into my honorable mentions and fuck. I wanted this song so bad and it didn't happen. I love the song frontline by the business. And one of the reasons why I love it so much is there's very few songs where someone can do the same guitar, the same guitar solo twice in the song and it kicks ass. Uh, there's a song by the band 15, the song Lucky. They do the same ripping guitar solo twice. This song does the same guitar solo twice, and it is so ill, so rad. R- RKL, think positive. Uh, the band Abandoned, they're really underrated. I believe it's Tony's band after he does the Adolescence, and it got Correct. re-released in the last five years, and I had never heard it before. I bought the LP, and it rages. Um, the song's Iron Age, as well as... The song Killed by Faith are straight up 1.5 rippers. So everyone's got to check that out. Uh, let's see. I had the Husker Do makes no sense at all. Minutemen, the song Tour Spiel. I don't know if like that would be considered a punk song, but dude, there's just something about that riff that like gets me every time. And I love listening to this song. It's like pretty late Minutemen and in a weird song, but I love it. Um, Seven Seconds, How Do You Think You'd Feel is a song I love that didn't get picked. Um, Naked Ray Gun, New Dreams, a couple of Misfit songs, and a handful of DRI songs, and a backup Raw Power song, and another backup Youth Today song. So that's what I got. Uh, Pops, honorable mentions. I don't have too much. I think a lot of this stuff was touched on. I, I wanted to take a Grey Matter track, but I got stuck because – it's kind of almost like Rites of Spring. I just, that record's really short. I like it. I just listened to it um, all the way through. Um, I think the only other ones, like, I really like Annihilate this week on Loose Nut. And uh, not the best record by this band at all, but there's something I really like about how fucking ridiculous the song Making, Making the Bombs is by the Circle Jerks. Like, it. <laughs> It just sounds like fucking Crocus or something with <laughs> with Keith Morris singing, but he's still just doing Keith Morris, and yeah. it doesn't make any sense. And it's it's kind of a fucking ripping track. Oh, and uh, Mad World Coc. That's a really great song. Hell yeah, love it. All right, Dan. Uh, all roll mentions. Okay, uh, walk together, rock together. Seven seconds. I can't believe that's not on someone's list. Stumped Minor Threat. This is because Zach went first. This is another playlist that doesn't have Minor Threat on it when I could have. So smash 
the aggressive. Take all your take all your aggression out on smashing that Patreon button. All right. Um, for want of rights of spring, uh, show you no mercy. Everybody's gonna die and life of my own off the Chromag demo. Um, I love. I mean, there's obviously so many good songs on that demo, but the way that these three, well, also you know, taking one that isn't on the LP, but the way that these songs sound is what elevated them to my list over others. Um, to whom it may concern by conflict, this is the most like just it. It's basically the um end of the world as we know it rem style vocals like there's so many lyrics on this song but it's so good and it's just amazing conflict rule um straight on view positive mental attitude unity uh saturday's heroes by the business i really i'm bummed that i didn't get to get it on um that's you know a top tier football hooligan anthem um I have faith, Youth of Today, because I love that down, now, 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 now. I have faith. Like that descending riff is so cool. Um, and then the death rattle to one of the greatest bands ever. The rest of the album is absolute dog shit. But the song This Is England by The Clash is a guilty pleasure of like catchy deliciousness. Check it out. No one took a five-minute uh, Dead Kennedy song. Ha! That's one thing. <laughs> True. That's, that's kind of wild. But uh, let's see. Ben, let's go to you for your top 30 bass players of 1985. All right. <laughs> We're going to start with the bass player of Grey Matter, um, the song Flash in Time, which is on their album, whatever the album's called, the fucking Grey Matter album. There's one album from the 80s that came out in 85. Flash in Time totally sounds like they could have been a band from Huntington Beach in 1980 on Posh Boy Records. Just that one song. Um, Unity, Straight on View. Misfits, American Nightmare. Their only attempt at rockabilly music, and they hit it so far out of the park. This song is better than anything by the Cramps. Yes, I said it, and I fucking stand by that. R- okay, RKL, Think Positive. Black Flag Annihilate this week. I got that one too. Husker Du, New Day Rising. Negative Effects. Um, I didn't pick a track, um, but that whole record is good. I think that was recorded quite a bit before it came out, but it did come out in 1985. And then uh, D.I., uh, Johnny's Got a Problem from the Horse Bites, Dog Cries LP. They record two albums Ooh. in 85, and I can never remember which one comes first and which one actually comes out in 85. So if I got that wrong, whatever. Um, the freeze, the entire rabid reaction album is great. That came. That's eighty. Huh? Warped confessional in, in particular. That was a song that I forgot to mention. Yeah. Um, v- uh, very one point five. I got abandoned. Iron Age as well, and another uh, Canadian band of that ilk. The Asexuals, uh, take a look around you. Um, Asexuals, one of these guys ended up starting the Doughboys, maybe more than one of them, um, who played the second punk show I ever went to, but I, which was Seven Seconds and the Damned, actually. But I showed up late, and I missed the Doughboys, and I thought Seven Seconds was the Doughboys the entire time. Um, DYS The Loner, we talked about that, Scream This Side Up. Big Boys, the song No 
which is a very black flag sounding song. Aggression ripped off, which is on their second album, which is not as good as the first one, but this song is good. HR, it'll be all right. So eight, so I think Bad Brains was broken up for a year or two around 84, 85, and HR did a solo, his first solo record. And this song sounds like a fast hardcore punk Bad Brains song. Like you would think this was a Bad Brains song. Um, UK Subhumans, the song Apathy, Snakes, She's Got It Now, which is a joke band on Discord Records. And they're such a joke band that they on the label says discard records. Um, Squirrel Bait Thursday. They're from Louisville, Kentucky, but they sound like they could have been from Washington, D.C. Um, and Minor Threat, Good Guys Don't Wear White, which is a cover, but still that would count. Shout out to Squirrel Bait. Shout out to Billingsgate. And uh, we almost made it out of here in under two hours. Everyone, go on to 185milesouth.com. Click that playlist link at the top of the page. Check out the music from the podcast. And later in the week, we will post our uh, our playlist. And you guys can vote for whose playlist you like the most on Instagram. So check that out. Dan, where can the people find you? On Instagram, at Southport Instagrammer. Ben, where can the people find you? On Instagram, at Cold Chillin Book. And Pops, where can people find you? Instagram handle Anthony underscore Papa with two P's. And we will talk to you again next Monday. 